everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Justin Cavanaugh joining us on Power Athlete Radio once again, and he is on the other side of the world. Preparing for the Olympics. We got a quick turnaround for this episode, and I'm excited for it because we're going to give a coach's perspective for the Olympics and get power athlete behind your athletes that you got running over there. So, Justin, welcome again to Power Athlete Radio, man. Thanks for joining us. It's late for you, it's early for us, but we're excited to have you. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's been fun. You know, heck of a travel day uh, a couple days ago 16 hour flight uh all the way overseas but uh and then with the time change it's always fun so we're uh, we acclimated we we did our first track session uh just to kind of loosen the legs out um you know earlier today you know we had 6 40 wake up <laughs> so no sleep and now i think our clocks are set and we're ready to rock and roll sweet man let's let's go through it i know you have you have one athlete in the Paralympics and one athlete competing in the, in the, the formal show. So who are the athletes, man? Who should we look out for and what are their events? So, uh, in the uh, Olympics, you have Jason Rogers of St. Kitts and Nevis. Jason is a three-time Olympian. He's a hundred meter sprinter. Uh, he's currently ranked ninth in the world, uh, right now. So, um, he had a great season and, uh, opened up in Miami, uh, with our first race of the year with Olympic qualifying time. So, uh, it's pretty awesome. And, um, you know, we're here right now in the, in the prep and then in the Paralympics, which will be, uh, the following month, I have, uh, an American athlete, Nick Mayhew. Nick is an interesting cat. He was USA's men's para, um, soccer player of the year in 2019 and then usa does not have a soccer team in the paralympics they didn't put in for it um this olympic cycle so he got recruited to run track and has never ran before so we started training for about um a little over a year now to make this happen probably two years actually two years uh, because of the 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 2020 shutdown and he was at national trials. They did trials um, same week as the Olympics um, out West. And he broke the world record in the 200 and he was qualified in the 100, the 200 and in the 400. So he's got uh, multiple events. He, um, he's a T37 Paralympian, which means um, they have a grading scale. So he's graded out as a 37. Um, he's got uh, CP. So if you take a scan of his brain, which is something that I'll send you guys because um, it's fascinating. He actually has a, a hole pretty, pretty about, about, about the size of a golf ball, maybe even a, a tennis ball in the side of his brain. And um, he's a, an incredible athlete and overcame a lot. And it's pretty cool to see him forge forward. Um, but right now we are 100% focused on what's in front of us right now. So Nick is back home in, in the U.S. training and Jason and I are here ready to go. Are you planning on staying that that length of it and staying in Japan? I won't. I'm gonna I'm gonna be coming back to the U.S. Um, and then kind of do the trip all over again. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, let's then let let's focus on Jason here to begin with and and walk us through it, man. That extra year, 
Do you feel that weighed on Jason as an athlete, or it, it gave him the opportunity to really fine-tune his, his already dialed-in skills? So I think it's done an interesting thing, because I have perspective on a number of athletes. So in Jason's situation, it absolutely helped us. There's a number of reasons why. So 2018, he did not run at all. I met Jason in, in 18 because he did not have a season. He got hurt. I met him, um, I was out in Jamaica, and Johan Blake introduced me to him. So uh, during that time working with um, Johan, he asked me to kind of work on Jason and basically went from a kid who could not run. He wouldn't run, he didn't run the whole season to getting him to the 2019 um, Pan Am games. And Jason went, uh, won the first heat and then went to the finals uh, in the Pan Am games. So that kind of put us on track to say, okay, he was already a two-time Olympian. He's 29 years old and he's in a position where he's like, okay, he's going to make another run where you don't know where your career is going to go at that age. Right. And um, when the, you know, when this year kind of, you know, was a damn near clusterfuck with everybody um, he he's, you know, a two-time Olympian and he's from an, a, an underdeveloped country, no doubt where the resources are not the same as, as the United States. They're not the same as many other places. And I think the maturity is what helped him through. So his maturity during the time where everybody that was young basically got sidewinded with all this stuff, mm-hmm. he basically put his head down and say, okay, now's my time to actually put the work in. And so we, he came up um, and then stayed with me. Uh, we got a corporate apartment right in Virginia and then we went to work. So it was just every day, no races, no nothing. And we're, we're just working. And then he opens up the season in Miami and uh, cracks the Olympic standard. Um, at the time, I think he was ranked third. Uh, that's when Fred Curley broke the world lead. He takes second in that race. And then he was just winning races right after that. So the maturity, I think, made uh, for him as an athlete, put us in a good situation with that year. Whereas I saw other athletes that are a little bit younger, they, they struggled. They really struggled with this last year. Uh, I had the opportunity to watch U.S. Trials pretty awesome especially the track friend down at university of texas clint martin had a boatload of athletes participating so you know you root for friends at a different level at at this stage in the game now how does how does trials work for athletes outside this country jason had the opportunity to participate in miami was that enough to punch his ticket or did he have to qualify for his country yeah so um you have to make an olympic standard so even if you win your trials um you have to hit an olympic qualifying standard which for the men's 100 meter it's uh 1005 so you know he opened the season at 1001 uh, which was great and so he punched his ticket from that moment but then you'd have to go and win trials as well or place in trials and um, because of the pandemic, they are locked down. So they had lockdown, curfew, everything else. So we had plans to go down there and run at trials. And um, their federation had made the decision because of the safety of everything that was going on that they weren't having trials. They were gonna have us come down to a 14 day quarantine and then run. It's pretty hard to go out and run sub 10, you know, only, you know, being in a hotel room for 14 days. So as it is, we're here in Tokyo you know, we, uh, the Pan American games have set up uh, an amazing camp for us, but you know, we are out training for two hours and then we're back in our hotel and we can't move. Mm-hmm. So and we're checkpoints everywhere. So it is not ideal from a physical preparation standpoint. Um, but in his situation, you know, we were able to punch our ticket early 
and um, the Federation um, has basically um, got an acceptance letter from the Olympic Committee uh, because of Jason's both qualifying mark, Olympic standard time, and his, um, his recognition globally from the work that he put in. And they did not actually have a trials at all. So even um, in their country, they, they canceled trials because the rest of the athletes that were there that season, nobody throughout the entire season, because some of them are in college and some of them are pros going through mm-hmm. it in no other sport and in no other um, event did they hit an Olympic standard time. So from coming out of a country that only one athlete has hit their Olympic standard time, it's pretty incredible, especially. So St. Kitts and Nevis is a small island in the Eastern Caribbean. It is it's got 55,000 people. So you and I, you and I have been in football stadiums that have twice that amount of people in it. And the support is incredible from just a small country, but it is still a small country mm-hmm. and they have one track on the Island. They don't have the resources that, that everyone else has. So, you know, it gave us an advantage with his maturity and mentality for us to just, you know, be grateful for everything we have and then work. So I think that right there is one of the, 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 the critical issues that no one talks about is that, you know, in the U S we're completely spoiled. So athletes take for granted some of the facilities and the, and the access to coaching and the access to high level education to filter throughout some of the stuff. Most of these athletes in other underdeveloped countries are filtering through it on their own. Mm-hmm. And they're basically saying, you know, what, what works for me, what feels good for me. Um, I'm blessed and lucky to be around some good people that have connected me with the right athletes over, over my years. And, and that's how it works. But in these other uh, underdeveloped countries, they have to kind of filter it themselves and they don't have the resources that you and I have. Yeah. I recall hearing a presentation, uh, Dan Radcliffe, Dan Radcliffe, university of Oregon track coach worked with football team and he created, he didn't create the term, but the first time I heard it was implicit learning. So some of the athletes uh, in, in the Caribbean or less fortunate countries, their track is, it's rocky, it's uneven, there's divots all over the place, and it almost forces these athletes to navigate that space. They got to find that divot and then make up. And it, it, from his understanding and how he was sharing it at the presentation, helped really develop these guys at athleticism through the sagittal plane sport because their body was navigating all these different planes, phases, uh, divots, rocks, and man, allowed for the expression of speed so much more. So that was something I held on to and found a way to mix it into the power athlete approach. But at the same time, like, dang, he painted a beautiful picture for how good we got it in the U.S. that is taking away almost from athletes mental and physical development yeah i got a great story for that one so i'm in i'm in jamaica on this jamaica project i did with stronger experts and i'm working with an athlete and he's on the table and i'm like man like this is like how did this happen you know and he he says something to me um and he's like um whole and i'm just like what like i was like hey man my my island language isn't really up to up to speed right now you're gonna have to like explain it to me what do you mean hole you mean and and he's like yeah it happened because i hit a hole and i'm like i mean listen you tell me i hit a hole that means we're playing football right we're we're making a good collision it opens up and we hit it you're a track athlete what do you mean you hit a hole and he was running on a grass track and there was a legit hole in the ground 
And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I said to him, hey, do me a favor. Can you show me some video of you running? Cause you're pretty jacked up right now. I wanna see some footage of you running. And he pulls up 2016 Olympics and shows me him running the 400 in the Olympics. I'm like, oh my, like this is an Olympian, mm-hmm. right? And he's can barely walk cause he doesn't have the support and treatment there. And he got hurt because he was running on a grass track that had a divot in it. And it's like, talk about navigating kind of your own professional career with not even understanding that those resources are out there to get looked at and actually run on a a legit, even playing field. So you're absolutely right. Ratcliffe has, um, you know, seen that from his time with getting recruiting athletes from all over the world. I mean, Oregon gets some of the best athletes and Mm -hmm. yet some of them are just so they don't know the game, right? They don't know the true tactics of the game, but they have a great ability to, to, to learn the, the skill because they've basically just become very, very good natural movers, right? There where unfortunately in the U S development system, it has gotten to the point where it's so structured that there's no ability for these kids to actually react. They have no ability to have any sort of like perception, reaction, and adjustments to uh, anything that doesn't go to, you know, the, the structure or the directions that were given. Let's, let's take that track for the development of the sport and in two tracks, one, the life cycle of an athlete for, let's say an amateur or a football player, basketball. So another kid, the opportunity of track. And then the track of, okay, this is a track athlete. So that long-term development within their life cycle. Majority of the listeners here, parents, coaches, teachers, they'll be coaches. They'll be taking that track asset to then unlock baseball, football, other sports. So let's start there. How can track be utilized in that middle school, high school age group as just a unlocking athletic potential piece? So it's really important to think about this because most coaches will say you need to run tracks so you can get faster, but then they won't do anything in their own sport to help their kids get faster because they think that they Sounds get a fast right. athlete or they don't, get a, they don't get a fast athlete. And that's not necessarily true. You're going to work with guys and, and even at our level, we're fine tuning things right now and we're, you know, 10 days out. So there's always room for development at, at every level. And at the youth development level, what track could do is the ability to learn the skill, the technical skill of running, because it does do a good job of that, linearly at least. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily uh, allow for open sport play and a lot of reaction uh, components because it's very much the only reaction to a stimulus is a gun. So it's an auditory reaction. Hopefully you're not running off of uh, visual stimulants um, in regarding track because that means you're way too late. But it's going to teach you the technical um, ability, the technical skills to be able to run. And I think speed is a skill. So you have to learn how to do it. That level of efficiency, when you start then layering strength on it, when you start layering more physical preparation and development on it is going to allow for more effectiveness into the ground. So it's just efficiency and effectiveness, right? It's if you're running a really clean technical model and then you're able to produce a lot of power back into the ground at the right angles, then you're gonna, you're gonna actually you know, move. So there's going to be great transfer if you work back like that. So at the youth level, I love it because it's great. The other thing that I really love about track 
is you're not chasing anyone else. You're only looking at your times and you're just trying to run your best race. And then mm -hmm. you let the cards, you know, fall where they are. If you play football, you play lacrosse, you play basketball, you're relying on so many other parties. So even though you're within a team in track and field, you're right, you're raising a flag, you're with a country, you're with an organization, you're, you're completely autonomous in the process. And there's something about wrestling, there's something about uh, boxing, there's something about track and field that you can't blame anybody else. So if you don't put the work in, some, it's it's 100% on you. Now, you know, you look at the sport, the uh, individual sports like wrestling versus track and field, right? You're not going up against anyone else. So there's no adjusting to the course. All of your work is done beforehand. Mm -hmm. So it is the one, you know, very, very, um, I would say the only sport that's close to it is swimming, but there still is a lot of skill depending on the length of the races in swimming to run a race um, from a tactical standpoint differently in the pool where you could, you could trail off of people and draft and then build a rhythm and then pick back up. Whereas in, in track, you don't get that a lot in the shorter sprints. You, you, you maybe get it in a pace race a little bit longer, but this is the one world that you live in where all of the work is done before that gun goes off and that clock doesn't lie. No. So it's a great place for a youth athlete to say, the work that you do in practice matters. Whereas you have lacrosse athletes and basketball athletes and football athletes that are just straight gamers. I have baseball players. They're just gamers. And some of them don't work hard in practice, but they, they still shine in the game day. You can't do that in track because it's a preparation game. So I think that's a huge lesson to parents and to coaches. When you start asking yourself, what is the direct transfer? Part of these transfers is not just physical. It's part of this like, autonomous journey that you let the athlete go on so that they can be kind of self-sufficient and they don't have to be so reliant on both the system or a coach. That's awesome, man. So now where, where do you differentiate when you start to go pro as a track athlete? Is that is you got to go to college to, to be this way, or are they still recruiting those potential un like the, the dudes from all over the world yeah, so like in the U.S., in the U.S., you're gonna have very rare cases of kids going pro. I mean, there's a kid, a young kid, Slade, that just came at IMG, which might as well be a, a pro development yeah. system, anyways, right? Yeah, I was watching uh, him on the trials. Yeah, and he's, you know, he had an unfortunate, you know, um, scuff up with that foot, and you saw it like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. He just, it, a lot of it is nerves and timing, mm -hmm. and I mean, it, it looked rough, right? It was like, wow, this is crazy. But I've watched that kid run all season. He's done an amazing job. But the kid's 17. It's incredible. His future ahead. He doesn't of look is, 17. <laughs> no, he doesn't, you know, but it's amazing to see, you know, a kid at that, at that level and, and do his best. The other thing about it is too, you said he doesn't look 17. Majority of high level athletes do not look their age. And if you think about it too, you, you go to the college level, forget the way they look. Cause most of those guys look like grown men, but you stick a mic and a camera in front of them and you're asking them to answer these deep questions and they don't even like, they don't even know if it's okay to answer some of these things. And it's, that's what allows That's what makes you mature so quickly. Sports mm -hmm. have just put that level of pressure on you because it basically says here, we're going to shine a light on you. And there's a lot of lessons in that. I think it's, it's incredible. But so outside of those rare scenarios in the U S it is a college development uh, sport. And then it's time-based, right? Like you ain't going to go pro unless you can hit your times because they won't even let you into meets unless you hit your certain times. 
outside of the U.S., then um, there is more pro career structures because that's their way out of their country. That's their way out of poverty. That's their way out of, you know, their environments. That's their way for them to travel and see the world. And I think that's fascinating because if you have that opportunity based on your own merit and your talent, you know, go for it. But, you know, Jason was, you know, probably going to be recruited, you know, to college. He would have went to probably UTEP and been good to go. And he took a bus one day, you know, from Sandy Point to where he needed to go. And uh, bus got in a car accident and he couldn't walk the next day. Oh, damn. And so his track career was completely ended. And the doctor said that, you know, this is never going to happen. And now we're into our three Olympics and he's forging ahead and he's got a bright future ahead of him, even at this stage in the game, which is incredible. So yeah, that is, that is awesome. Hopefully power athlete nation pulls behind him. I, the, well, I appreciate it, man. I tell you what, just the, it was fun talking to you guys, you know, earlier in the year um, and how much that has just changed, but it's, you know, truth to, you know, the work ethic and the lessons of sport, because I mean, it put pressures, it puts pressure on people. And I think support and good energy goes a long way. You know, that's one of the reasons why you asked me to jump on this. And it's like, it's not a, it's not a, oh, let me see if we can make it work. And it's tough. It's a, it's a hell yes. Let's make it happen. You know, even if it's a, you know, a day difference and a time change, it doesn't matter to me because in sport, just like in life, like you want to be around good people. I don't care what anyone says. Good people could drive a culture to a level that is unattainable by most people's, you know, um, ideas, ideas. Most people do not even understand what it's like to win. And if you think about it, there's just not that much space for winners. Like there's a very small environment that are just winners. Most people lose. Most people don't make it. So when you start separating the 1%, it's part of it is a mindset. It's like, Hey, listen, this shit happened, but we have to kind of man up and do our thing and then deal with it. And, that's about partly not just the strategy, but it's also the, 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 the approach to say, I just want to be around people that believe that I could do something that most people think is impossible. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. I want to pull on that thread a little bit, but just to note the round one of the hundred meters is Thursday, July, not July 29th. So we'll, uh, I think it's the 31st, but I got to check oh. me up on that. I don't but know. Remember, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Tokyo, so my my days my I have a next day. Yeah, so maybe our calendars here. So I got late night on July 29th, uh, and Might I could be. be yeah, he's it could in, be central. Yeah, time. he's in round one because there's a preliminary round. So if you don't if you don't make a qualifying time based upon your standards, so there might be like 60 guys right that run, mm-hmm. and they'll run through all the heats. And then they get into a next round. So Jason's already uh, in that next round just because of his uh, his time, you know, around the world, which is great. So he might be in that other ones. We have a Olympic committee meeting on Thursday, so I'll send you the Ooh. details. And push it out. But um, I was awesome. on the women's. I was on the women's tab. So we got. You're right on July 30th, Heat One round uh, preliminary round one officially Saturday July 31st. 31st. So then, and then semis and finals are on August first. So that's uh-huh. that's accurate. Cool. Okay. So we're all in line with that. Power Athlete Nation, tune in. And now let's go back to the the winners, man. So I'm at the youth athlete level now, and I'm way down at the middle school. And why I like it, parents haven't yet got their hooks in the the social pressures of Texas sports. It's not there yet. So I get the opportunity to arm these kids with this fun perspective 
and appreciation and an excellent relationship with hard work and expectation that isn't overwhelming and giving them the, the social tools to navigate failure and communication for their teammates of having the expectation you were supposed to be there versus, you know, what, what the hell, man? So, um, but the expectation is still win, but it's not the only expectation. And you have an amazing breadth of experience working with youth, college, professional, and world-class Olympians, man. So where, where do you feel this healthy relationship with winning can begin, and where does it start to, to weigh and, and, and go unhealthy? So I think there's, at the youth level, your scoreboard needs to be attitude and effort driven. And then your scoreboard needs to translate because you're maturing to a direct kind of truth meter, which is how's my attitude and how's my effort correlating to my performance, if that's what matters to me. At the youth level, what matters to me more is teaching them to learn how to play. And then it's teaching them to learn how to compete. So there's mm -hmm. stages of development. I think um, Istanbul, who's a Canadian sports scientist, probably had the best youth athletic development model that is structured. Now, I don't necessarily say that's a concrete approach. I think it does change. And even you're probably running into this right now. It changes based upon, um, you know, geographically as well. So you take, so you're your youth is lacrosse that you have in Texas right now, right? Yes. So, you know, for anyone that's listening to this right now, that is on the lacrosse team that you're working with in Texas has this kind of idea of like, well, yeah, we compete, we're a certain level, but lacrosse hasn't got as much traction in Texas that where you're from, you know, you take that Mad Lax approach, you take your club team's approach that's out in the DMV and those kids are like already serious. Oh yeah, big time. So even like geographically speaking, the competitive nature of those athletes versus the ones in Texas is different. Now that does it. So that means that you have parent involvement at a younger level and you have more management issues that you have to deal with at a younger level where now you could be that person that installs all of that stuff, which I think is critical. And what I would primarily focus my energy on with those guys is it's effort um, and attitude driven, right? So it's like, how does their attitude when they show up? And then what's their effort when they produce on practice and on the games, right? And then it's how do they deal with the circumstances that they're dealt, right? Mm -hmm. So I care more at that level with how they are responding to the success. And then how are they responding to the, the loss or the defeat or, you know, something that doesn't go their way? So I start looking at the, the big macro moments, which is the game or the season, to the micro moments, which is they messed up on a play or they got they got hurt or they missed a ball or they just completely had an argument with, you know, their, you know, their teammate. I want to look at those micro moments and then start to collectively put it together to the macro for the season at that level, because I could start to gauge those are my wins and losses with that group. And then I could start looking at it and go, okay if I could reflect and show them, Hey, this is how you act. I mean, think about it. You're, you're reflecting with 12, 13 and 14 year old kids. Most mm -hmm. adults don't get honest reflection. They go to work and their boss lies to them because they're not allowed to say something anymore because HR or they go to work and they, they don't even know that the people around them don't like them because they're just in these different clicks and environments. So 
you don't have a good truth meter in general, like adults nowadays. Mm-hmm. So kids are getting, you could do this with younger kids and then they could develop that so that they won't accept this kind of like craziness, right? Right now we're in a world where people are accepting things that are just ludicrous. And the reason why that is, is because people are gullible. They're easy to be influenced and they're more easily influenced because they have no freaking values of the of their own. And that's what we're trying to teach through sports anyways. Mm-hmm. So in the sport level, I want to basically teach that kid to be like, hey, how did you feel? And American kids, this is something that you'll see if you go around the world, but Americans, they do not know how to respond to a question like that. But if you go globally, you know, you're going to have a kid. So if you, if you go to like, um, you know, the islands, you know, they're going to, they're going to talk with like, I feel good. I feel okay. Do you know, like, okay is great, is good. Good is freaking fantastic. So it's their own language. Mm-hmm. You go to um, Australia, you go to Scotland, you go to any of those areas there, Ireland, you ask a kid that same question. He's, he's going to literally curse you out. He'd be like, I feel freaking fine. This is what I'm going on. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Oh my goodness. He starts like rambling. Like he's, it's like, he's damn near 35, you know, <laughs> or he just had a beer and it's like, what the heck is this? That's the culture. And in our culture, most of the time, parents are not asking kids questions. They're asking them a question because they want a specific answer. Do you want this, Johnny? Are you sure you don't want to go there? Do you, are you, like, do you really want to do that? These are all the kind of, this, these are their questions, but they're not real questions. They're statements and they're, they're, they're directions. So what ends up happening is they just start to wall off. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with parents is when they get back in the car and they go, how is practice? The kid walls off. So as a coach, I always want to look at it and go, how do you, like, how do I have that car ride home again? So I tell my parents that are, are, are working with, like are in our teams at that level that you're working with, I say to them, hey, one of the most critical times with an athlete is that car ride home because it's an opportunity for you where they can't leave you right? They can't, they can't just run away from you, right? They got, and you could say no phones in the car, right? You could actually turn the the music down and you could, you know, have a conversation with them and they can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the majority of those parents screw up those moments. They destroy those moments. And because what they do, you did this wrong. Or what is that like? What's it like working with coach? And it's like, man, you got a great opportunity just to tell them positive things and find out what their work, what's going on and see how they feel genuinely care, but they don't, they take that opportunity for them to like overcoach the coach. So they ruin those moments. So I look at that the same way as a coach, I regret a whole bunch of shit. So any of these like young coaches that are listening to this and they're like, man, you're doing all these things. Like, don't you ever like worry that you're going to screw up? Like, dude, I screw up all the time. I mean, I, we had a meet this year and I, I over, I overwarmed Jason up. Like I, it was totally my fault. And, uh, by the time I realized it, I grabbed him. I was like, Hey, let's go like pre, let's go to the bathroom. Let's do a little pre-workout, uh, pre, pre-competition bathroom. Like we're two girls and we go to the bathroom together. Cause I'm like, here I am with a pro athlete that's, you know, on his third Olympics and I screwed up. And I had to figure out a way to calm him down after his race. He looks at me and he goes, you know, you, you overwarmed me up, right? He goes, Oh, I did. I totally screwed that up. He goes, good. It will never happen again. I said, I know. And we just own it and we moved on and then we're good. But as a coach, 
when you're younger, you constantly think, oh my God, I can't make these mistakes. I'm a horrible coach. And that's not true. As a parent, you make a mistake with your son or, or daughter with your athlete. And it's like, hey, they're still your son or your daughter. Mm-hmm. So there's different feelings to parents. So they still make those same mistakes. Parents make more of the same mistakes than coaches because coaches understand that your life with those, that athlete, that relationship's on lease. Yeah. So we're a little bit more in tune with how we did. And then we go home sometimes and we go, man, I screwed that up. So I tell kids that are young coaches all the time. I mean, I know you have a great certification. I met some of the coaches that have been through your program and they have a lot more confidence than the majority of the other coaches in the industry. They also get great practical experience because you work with them hands-on. It's not just like a check a box cert, but they still are at that point where they don't know if they're doing the right thing and they are hesitant because it just, at that point, it's just an experience thing. Mm-hmm. So my, th- my thing to tell them and those coaches that are listening is that I screw up all the time. So if you are worried about your, your screw ups, then Hey, get used to it because 20 years into this and Hey, there's just going to be a lot more to come. So don't worry about your screw ups, worried about, worry about how that made you feel because if you're a coach and that screw up, made you like resent the relationship with the athlete, then, then you probably should stop serving. You should stop serving the athlete. But if that screw up made you actually feel a little bit of remorse and go, man, I got to work on myself. That's a great sign because it also tells you now they could go back to a mentor. Right. And I know that you work with a lot of people and it's so valuable for them, for you, like for, for an athlete, uh, for a coach to have direct access to you or direct access to John and go, Hey, I'm really working with this issue and it's, I'm struggling with it. You know, you got God knows how many years of pro experience for between the both of you at the coaching level, at the playing level, there's a ton, but now you have the chance to kind of lean off of collectively 20 plus 30 plus years of, of professional experience that they could literally borrow and then go change something the next day with their athlete. Mm-hmm. And these are things that we couldn't do. So I look at kind of like, how would I, have that car ride again. And I run that car ride over in my head first. What would be the one thing I do to make him feel uncomfortable? What would be the one thing I make him do that's going to get him to stop talking to me? And then don't do those things. Everyone's as a parent is thinking, how do I get my son or daughter to talk to me? And what you should be thinking is, what do I do that shuts them off? Just don't do that. A lot of times in coaching, it's all about what you don't do versus what you actually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent lesson. I know you're you're a mentor to many coaches in there. So talk about now your development as a mentor, because we ran into each other, man, freaking years ago, the old fitness first personal training days, and now, yeah, now we're in a different whole different lane where you're working with world class coaches, developing them. And then pair that with your experience in, in, in world-class athletes versus, you know, Joe Schmo, who's wondering, oh man, $30 a session, that's too expensive. So talk (laughs) about that development from your perspective as, as a leader and a mentor to go from that industry now into man coach development and empowering athletes at all ages. Well, I think coaching is coaching, right? You're there to serve right? And the old kind of like concept where the word comes from is basically moving. It's the carriage, right? It moves one thing safely to the, to the next destination. And that's all that we're doing with people, right? 
And I think when someone comes into me and they have a goal of, I just want to lose weight, or I, I want to basically take that goal and get specific with it. So when you say you want to lose weight, well, how much weight? Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. I want to fit in these pants. Well, well then maybe the weight is not the goal. Maybe the goal is you want to fit in the pants. And you really want to say, well, then why do you want to sit, fit in those pants? Well, I have, you know, this event coming up and I'm seeing some old friends and, you know, I, I, I kind of, it matters to me the way I approach myself. Oh, so now you don't, you care about the way you, you show up to things. Well, I just don't feel, feel as good when I'm, you know, I don't have as much energy. And now I say, oh, now you're talking about health. So we start getting into layers of why we do things, but it's because we're getting specific with them. Mm -hmm. You mentioned amateur athletes. In my opinion, we are all pros if we take a specific approach to our sport. Now, some get paid more than others, right? And I think in general, even if you have a general population client, even if you are a personal trainer working with fitness people, you can approach that is your, you're a professional, right? So if you're the coach, you're the professional, mm -hmm. the athlete and client in front of you, you're there to serve them. So if that athlete says that they want to go to the Olympics and you can't serve them, then you're doing them a disservice by still being involved. What you should say, if you're a coach that's not prepared to go to the Olympics, but your athlete wants to go to the Olympics, you put them in a position so that they still trust you no matter what your involvement is. So there's athletes that come to me that are not my, like the area is not my strength, right? So I send them to people that I think are better than me in those areas that they could better fulfill their goals. That's what I do. So it's the same thing with mentorship and coaching. So at stages in my career, I went from, you know, I always, I started with athletes. 2009, I sold that business and I moved up to the Northern Virginia area and I started doing general population sales. I was, I was running all the personal training environments with Fitness First. There's 180 trainers at one point that I was managing and it was crazy. And there's all different people that walked in there. And that basically said, okay, now I have to learn how to sell. And now I have to learn how to manage because I wasn't managing anything but the athlete to coach relationship, which was my own. And then I had to learn to manage relationships of coach to coach, right? And then coach to salesperson and then, and then manager. So these are all skills that I had to learn along the way. So, but I never went, this is where I think something that in the fitness industry and sports industry, they make mistakes on. They think that all of the answers are in our own industry. So when I wanted to go learn sales, I didn't go into the sports industry. I met Sam Cauchy, who runs One Huddle. He's one of the best sales guys I met. And I said, teach me sales. That's what I did. I went to a Jeffy Gittimer seminar and I, I want to learn sales. So I went to those people that are the best at what they do. When I wanted to learn management, it's like, okay, like what are the books on it? And then you start reading all these books and you're like, none of that crap works for me. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I need to, I need to figure something else out. So I started to talk to my friends that are in business that manage a lot of people and run companies. And I said, Hey, like I'm having a trouble with this. And they're like, well, cause you're an asshole cab. Like, that's why I'm like, Oh, okay. They're like, well, it's not that it's that nobody understands. You always point out the bad thing because you're used to working at high level sport and high level sport athletes don't give a shit about the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So you go from a high level sport environment to where the athletes only know that you care about them and only know if you know what you're doing, if you could find flaws to lower level sport or into the management role where people need to be brought along with a lot more positive energy. So they need to be like at the youth level, they need to be saying, you're doing good at this. 
you're 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 self-conscious about this other area of your race or self-conscious of this other area of your performance because you're looking at the bad right but as a coach i'm not i'm telling you you're doing a great job we're going to bring that other thing up to speed that's the management aspect of it but i'm not used to that i grew up in a high high performance environment i'm used to when a coach tells me what I'm doing wrong, I go, that's what I want because that tells me I could go fix it. But if a coach doesn't tell me I'm doing anything wrong and I'm not winning, right? If coach doesn't tell me I'm doing anything wrong and I'm freaking crushing every game, which didn't happen my entire life, then it's a different story. But if you're losing and your coach isn't telling you something wrong, if you're a competitive person, you're going to go find a different coach. So I had to learn that ability and I learned those abilities from the best in the world in those areas. I didn't think that my industry had all the answers. Just like I don't think one person or one mentor has all the answers. I look at mentors as lighthouses. So if I'm a ship on the water, that lighthouse, I have a, I have a lighthouse in my life on, on, let's say, you know, nutrition, right? I have a lighthouse in health in my, in my life that is for anything, if there's a major problem or health issues, like Dr. Eric Serrano, right? If mm-hmm. I, have, I have a lighthouse for chiropractic, if I have any chiropractic questions, I'm going straight to Dr. Ken Kanakin, right? If I have, I have a lighthouse on finance, I have a financial advisor. I don't do my own finances. I have somebody that does that. I have a character, you know, um, values, ethics, like lighthouse in my life, whether it be my pastor. And then I have an honest meter in my life. That's a lighthouse. And that's my wife, right? She's going to keep me on check. If she listens yeah. to this podcast and I'm full of shit, she'll be the first <laughs> one to call me out, right? I always think the best podcast should be at the end of all these motivational podcasts, you bring, you bring their mother on or you bring their wife on. And then we'll find out who's really telling the truth, right? Because my mom will call me and be like, what the heck is wrong with you? My, my wife will tell me, yeah, yeah, you come clean the dishes, go back to your role. And <laughs> And I think it's important to understand that level of both humility, but also have people in your life that can, that can be very honest with your own development. That's the key. So I look at like, as you're passing by in those areas of your life, those people, lighthouses are there to protect you from the rocks. That's why they're on land, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's rocky land that you're going to hit, they're there to basically steer you away from it. Now we need to do that within our own life as coaches. We need to find the things that we're weak on and then go search out opportunities for us to get better by people that have filled those, those holes in their own life and have done it with other people and are willing to help you out. Now, from a a coach and mentor perspective, how many say you give some feedback constructive and then they don't, they don't appreciate it, take it or give you a double take. And then you reestablish, find a different way to communicate the same correction because you still feel they need it. So how many of these correcting of your communication do you give an individual until, okay, maybe I'm not the right fit for this person or they're not the right fit for this role, responsibility, or team? So two, two responses to that. The first one is, is as a coach, I feel that it is – my obligation and my issues to find success for a client or let's use an athlete and these even in business right i think it's my it's my job so if i fail right if an athlete isn't doing what i tell them to do if an athlete isn't you know um getting the results i want that's on me it's not on the athlete Mm -hmm. because there's something about what i'm doing that's not um creating the environment for him to move forward 
and and that's my job. So I have to create that environment for him to move forward. And if I don't do that, then I'm lacking. And at this point in my career, I, I do get to choose some of the people I work with because I have found that some of personalities don't fit well with me. I don't work well with people that don't know exactly what they want to accomplish. If you tell me you want to accomplish something that's freaking impossible, I, if it's in, in my, my lane, I'm going to try to help you. But if you come to me and go, I really just don't know what I want, I'm going to say to you, hey, I think one of the first things that we want to do is really identify, you know, what drives you and what do you want to accomplish? And um, here's some exercises or opportunities that we could do on that. And if we, if I don't have success on that first go, I'm going to probably TO that to somebody else to help move that along to get them to the point where they can work with me. But I take ownership on not being fully equipped to handle that current situation. So I understand that's probably an inadequacy as a coach that I'm working on. So that's the first aspect of it, right? Is I, I got to take ownership of the success or failures of the client that I work with. Mm-hmm. The second thing about it is um, I don't play baseball. So it's not like a three strike rule. I tell you something, if you don't do it, I'm going to come to you and say, um, is there an issue with this? Is there something that you don't understand? Is it not clear? Because I'm looking for it here. This is what I want to see. If you can't do that, then you need to let me know. Oh, I could do it. I could do it. You can, Hey, you, you obviously can't do this. I take it away from them. I don't, I don't fire them. I don't, uh, I don't even reprimand them. I don't get upset at it. I just basically say, I'm just, I'm removing that task from you. And now I know that I can't trust you with this level of, and I have tasks that are at certain levels in my life. Mm-hmm. And then I don't, I don't basically accelerate you in the process. There's a, there's levels of delegation. I learned this from a guy named Ari Mizell, brilliant person. And there's six levels of delegation. And I'm going to probably screw it up in regarding the exact order. But level one is do as I say, which means I completely dictate to you what I want you to do. And you do everything exactly the way I say. Level six is just get it done. Right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, I don't care. Get it done. I need. I care about the outcome, not the process. Right? Um, level five, and I'll work back. Level five is get it done within these parameters. Meaning, I've created a structure of, let's say, nothing below this or nothing above that between this time and this time, but you get it done, but you have full autonomy within this box to get something done. Level four is um, come back to with options and choose the best one. So it means I'm still giving you autonomy, but I want to make sure that those options are approved, but you have the autonomy to choose what you think is the right fit. Mm-hmm. Level three is bring me the options and I'll choose. And I don't even remember what level two is. Um, I live in the most comfortable part of my life, both business and in coaching in level five. So I, 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 when I work with people, coaches, or even a, a, a client for that matter, I give them a task and I decide what type of level that they're in, in that environment. So 
if they're a level five, man, I'm like, we have the best relationship there is, right? If they're a level six, I don't know if I have that much trust to give somebody just level six all the time. Because you, you imagine some young people, they could do some dumb stuff. Yeah. But if you've created the framework and they're constantly just hitting the mark, now all of a sudden you give them a little bit more leeway, right? I remember when we had a lot of coaches and we had an internship, I used to go to Costco and get $100 gift cards, uh, uh, like, yeah, gift cards from Costco and $100 gift cards from Amazon. So we had about probably at any one point about $500 sitting at the desk in the coach's office. And mm-hmm. the, the rule was simple. If there's anything in the facility that's broken, if there's anything in the facility that you think we need, if there's anything that within your client interactions that you think would make the experience better and it's within this range of money and that's a decision just do it and i've i've eliminated the um the the ability for them to go above my my range by doing gift cards right Mm -hmm. so they can't go over that amount i used to give credit cards out and that's a bad mistake i've learned that one so again my own fault right i learned that so that that card now becomes an opportunity for them to make an autonomous decision so that they have ownership in it. They make an impact to the facility. They make an impact to a client's life and how much, like I've already budgeted that for those decisions. Mm -hmm. So we're now obviously already, you know, moving the ball forward and we're making some good moves in the business side of things. But I, when someone comes to me and asks me a question, I think to myself, Am I fielding? How many questions am I fielding at certain levels? So, hey, you know, Coach Cav, you know, what do we have to do for this? That's a, let's say it's a, a, I have to specifically tell you exactly what you need to do. That's a level one question. Well, you should be on level level one payroll. And what businesses create them, you know, create an opportunity financially for somebody that is asking level one questions? Not a very high salaried amount. But somebody that's constantly asking level five questions, level six questions, because you trust them in those environments. Well, I think what's going to happen is those people have the opportunity to, you know, grow and they have the opportunity to get paid a lot more. So if you're looking at this from a business standpoint, I think that it'd be pretty wise for you to start thinking about what questions are you asking your superiors? What questions are you fielding as a manager? Right. And then what, and what levels do you feel like you're working the most in? So that's what I do. And if I start fielding a whole bunch of level two, whole bunch of level like one questions, I've done a poor job of laying the groundwork for, for an environment that they're comfortable coming to me and doing their own thing. So that's kind of the way I've approached it. I had, um, you know, we're, 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 I'm on my fifth Olympic cycle. Um, this is my, you know, first where I'm literally kind of like bag in hand with the athlete uh, like we've done because of, you know, being from the, you know, from the Federation that he's from, you know, and not being able to go back home because of uh, like the quarantine components and everything that's going on um, where I could control everything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just did, you know, some, you know, massage work with him right now, put my hands on him earlier. We, we did a track session. Like I could control almost everything that we do. And yet, you know, we're getting on the, on the bus and I'm like, Hey, how do you, how do you feel? What do you, what do you feel like doing today? And he's just like, well, walk me through it. And we actually, 
we joke around because we're at the point right now where I'll say something. He goes, that's what I wanted to do. And then he'll say something. I go, man, you're a lot smarter athlete than I thought. And it's all of a sudden this level of like, just like we're on the same page. Right. I wrote up the script for our, our 10 day window, you know, and I, I wrote up the first five days. Um, so he had it. I said, this is what I, I handed it to him on the, on the bus ride to the track. And I said, this is what I want to do. How's that look to you? I'm asking him for permission. Let me tell you something. We're running the script. I'm going to be like, from everybody listening to this, we're running the damn script. I don't care what he says. We're running the damn script. You get mad at me all you want. But I got an athlete now that's in, in line. He go, He looked at me and he goes, looks good to me. Gives me my phone back. And then we're going to work. And then while we're on the track, things started to happen on the track. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, what do you think of, what do you think about adjusting this? And he goes, I was thinking the same thing. I just, I wasn't sure if you were going to say it. So I was just trusting the process. So he has so much faith in me, which is a lot of responsibility, but mm-hmm. he is, but he's also willing to like, tell me these things. I think that's so valuable as a coach. So you have to start figuring out like, what type of relationships do you want? Do you want to work with an athlete that you have to tell them to do everything all the time? You know, you probably don't want to work with level six athletes where it's like, Hey, just get it done because they'll do some, they'll pick some dumb exercises if they have social media. Um, but you're going to see this all in your entire career. And I'm at the point now where the relationships with my athlete matter more. Like I'm going backwards, you know, text, like I'm completely rewinding the tape and I'm going back just to one-on-one because it's what I love to do. Um, and I can create a culture with the group stuff, which I, I love. Right. So in the coaching world, I, I talk, I talk about like, what's your ACE in the hole. So in our coaches room that we have with mentorship, we call it the ACE. Right. And one of the things that's kind of like our ACE in the hole for our group is the A stands for accountability. Like the coach's room that we have, it's a strong level of accountability because we're honest with each other, right? Mm-hmm. If I say, hey, I'm gonna do something and I don't do it, someone, somebody in the group's gonna call me out even though it's my environment, it's my mastermind, it doesn't matter. C stands for community, right? There's, there's a community of people that are like-minded, that are high performers, and that are headed towards a direction that we all you know, are, are, are striving to. Now, what's interesting about what we're striving to, we all have a different um, measurement and idea of what success looks like for us as coaches and, for, and, and as businessmen. But we all understand that what we are striving to reach is what is our ideal scenario of success. And I think that's super important because if you're in an environment that everyone has that, that kind of vision and super clear, it's amazing how fast you could go. And then the last thing, the E for the ACE stands for enhanced opportunity. You know this better than anybody. When you're in the right environment and those people are accountable and there's a good community around those people, the opportunities that come to you are going to be way greater if you're just solo. So that's the way I approach it. And then what I try to do, because I've had, so this is an interesting thing. I had such success in the coach's room with our mastermind with this ACE concept that I just said, man, I need to bring this into my athletes. I need to actually create this. So now I have accountability athlete to athlete in the business where I have other athletes starting keeping our, some of our other athletes accountable. I have a community of those athletes where I, I bring them together and I have overlaps, right? So I probably, for most sports, I know there's definitely some that are like way outside my lane. For most sports, I have at least one to three, one, one percenters, like greatest, you know, in their, in their time 
in their position at their, you know, in their field in football, like every single position I have a, a pro bowler that I could pick up a phone and call and say, can you get on the phone with this kid? He's going through exactly what you're going through. Right. Mm-hmm. When, when Tim Boyle came out of um, college, he gets picked up by the green Bay Packers. He's a quarterback. He's a backup quarterback. We already know he's going to be backing up Aaron Rodgers. Like he ain't trying to fight for that one spot. This was, you know, five, uh, three, four years ago. So I call a friend of mine, Craig Nall. Craig Nall played um, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Backed up a pretty good one, number four. So I say, hey, he goes, I'd love to talk to him. Give me, like, here, give him my number. Get him on the phone. I'll tell him all the ins and outs of how do you take care of your shoes. What do you do? Like, take some Vaseline and put it on the inside of your helmet because you're a backup quarterback. You're not going to be going in. You just don't want any frostbite on your sweat. And it's like things that I would never know. And I know the game really, really well, but there's just insights to the game that you would just never know unless you were in that exact position. So I mean, I'm able to do that now. And it's creating a community of athletes that are way more powerful than me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so valuable. And then enhanced opportunity is because the nature of being in an environment of high performers, you're going to get opportunities faster easier and probably at a higher level than if you're doing it on your own. So I've just taken this thing that on the, on the, for me, which is reverse where I've taken my athletic approach to business. And now the business approach, I had to, I had to make some adjustments a little bit. Some of those things that work really, really well, I'm now positioning it back to my athletes because there's something that's super valuable is nowadays these, especially now with the NCAA with likeness and everything else that you could have, these athletes are now their own business. Their body is their brand and it's important for them to kind of build that. So if you don't do it for them, they're going to try to do it on their own and then they're going to go to the wrong person for advice and that's what's going to mess you up. So I'm trying to kind of create this environment that has everything that they need under one roof, even if all of the things don't come from me. That's what I'm working towards. Yeah, man, I certainly see it when we have our our conversations, either beers or coffee, and and greatly appreciate this. And both of them are great opportunities. Mm -hmm. To me, beer and coffee with you, it's a good day. I'm a little bit bummed over two things. I've yet to been to the ranch. Let's start with that. I'm putting this publicly out here because I've not been. And then number two, we need some bourbon time. We need some good bourbon time. Well, that pairs in well with the ranch because Dripping Springs and... Uh, Blanco, Texas, I know holds your favorite bourbon out here. So plenty of distilleries around town to take advantage of. Yeah, and so like, here's an interesting thing, right? I wish I could grab it. Um, is it we could we talked about bourbon? So, so I'm coming here to the Olympics, right? And 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 I don't have to, right? I'm supposed to be getting the gifts in this environment, but I come to bring. I want to bring the chief to mission. I'm going to bring some people, something that they can't get in their countries. Oh, right. Buff, he's holding up Buffalo Trace. Yeah. So for those that can't see, I put a nice thing Buffalo Trace, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to get it duty free, and I'm going to go bring them a piece of you know, amazing American tradition that they can't get anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And that is immediately people think this is dumb. People, so many people have came to me at Cal. Like, you don't need to do that. That's crazy. All those things that you do for them, this, that, and the other. So let me tell you something. This bottle of amazing liquid gold in my opinion is going to create an opportunity for me to have a real conversation with somebody cut straight through the garbage and we're going to accelerate our relationship much much faster good or bad doesn't matter to me deep is what i care about because i would rather know what the core and intention of somebody is uh, 
is in their life with me versus me not knowing if their intention is good or bad. So I would much prefer to know what the core and the deep depth of the person is as quickly as possible so that if it works out, then great. But if, if I know the depth of who you are and it's just not the right jam for me, then let's move on. But a lot of times people think that in everything that you do, you're a competitor. We're all competitors. Like I want to be better than you. You want to be better than me. Right? So if I want to do this, we're going to do this on my, like if I want to win against you, we're going to go play a game that I'm better at. Mm-hmm. but I am not playing you in lacrosse. Like I will get destroyed. You know, I'll talk a lot of shit, but then if I have to pick up a stick, I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 it's a different conversation. It's just, that's a different game. You would destroy me. So what I want to do is be in a, a world with people that make me better. And I want to be in an environment where I could be honest with them. And I like challenges. I like to compete, but what you could do when you're comfortable with who you are, you complement each other. And it's fascinating because when you compliment somebody you could bounce off of them and you could, it's amazing what could happen. So I, I think it's incredible. And I'm at the stage now where you talked about it in the beginning, which is how do you find the right fit with the athlete and the coach? If you could find athletes that compliment you, it's amazing. And one of the things that is the best compliment is early in your career, you find athletes that, um, that they want exactly what you are interested in developing. Meaning if you want to develop speed and you're like fascinated with the speed side, you find a kid that wants to get faster. They will hang on to you and they will love you. And then what happens is, is they'll need other things. And then you're going to have to learn those other things. If not, they'll move on. Mm -hmm. And then later on in your career, you should be trying to find athletes that need something that you're not known for, but you have the ability to do. So then all of a sudden you start helping them with that. And nobody knew that you had those capabilities. When I first met Jason, it was an introduction from probably the second greatest Olympic sprinter of all time. And he thought I was just a physio. Jason just thought I was just doing treatment and fixing him. And at the like middle of the season, he goes to me, he goes, you know, a lot of people would never think that you know this much about track. Cause you know, you just don't look like that guy. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> You know, and it's, it's interesting because even at that level, that's people are always making those assumptions. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is I fast track my relationship with him because somebody that he trusted. And in my opinion, you know, a, a, a legend in the sport, Johan introduced me to somebody, just the introduction. He didn't say, go do this. He's this guy, this guy. He didn't introduce me and tell me, tell Jason anything about me. He just said, I trust Cav give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And with that, you're going to have a whole bunch of those opportunities. And I think that it's going to be look if there's a lacrosse athlete and they're not trying to fight to work with you one-on-one or within your group, then they made some big mistakes in your area. Cause they're one of the hardest things to do is find the right person. And then the second most difficult thing I would say is the proximity to the power of that person because it's very hard to find that right person. And then once you find the right person, sometimes you can't get to them. Yeah, that's the the power of relationships, man. And I mean, you know better than anyone in this business, especially. It's not, you know, it's, I won't say it's not what you know, but it is. Uh, but it's who you know. And then how you're able to to interact with it. Uh, one of my, what I'm looking forward to get back to is those those smaller conferences like Jay DeMeo's. Oh, where it's awesome. not It's not the game. It's not this, uh, you know, 
performance polo. What are you wearing? It's, man, sitting down. There's cer- certainly some drinks involved, but at the same time, Jay's found a great community and, and brings in some awesome coaches to then well, what's cra- connect what's crazy them. is Yeah, what's crazy is we met at Fitness First years ago. Fast track that. I think I'm, I, I connected with you again at um, not Georgetown at um, God. Why am I forgetting it? Um, I connected you with somewhere else, and then I, I saw you at CVAS. But the reason why I was like attracted to you is not because of the beautiful hair, uh, which I'm totally <laughs> jealous of. Um, but you're wearing a Wade's Army shirt, mm-hmm. and I run a I, I run an event called Hope Faster with one of my athletes that uh, was diagnosed with cancer and it's all pediatric, all the funds go to pediatric research um, because only 6% of those funds even make it into the pediatric research side. And that's what has drove, drove me just to like start the conversation with you up again. And I'm like, listen, I I don't care what it is. I'm in it, you know? And I, and I, and I rock that. And it's like, I didn't know what you knew. I didn't know what power athlete knew from a training or coaching standpoint at all, but I knew at the core of it, who they were as people and their intentions around making an impact in the right way. So it's like, I don't really care what your philosophy is on training. I could care less what you did in your career. Right. I, I, you introduced me to John. I never connected with John before. And it's like, okay, well, hold on. After all this said and done, the, the deeper I go, the better it gets. And if you think about that in the world that we live in today, the majority of the time when we go deeper, we start to realize true intentions and it gets worse and worse and worse. And we have the people that we care about or the people that we look up to disappoint us more often than not. So I am proud to, to, to jump on this call. I'm proud to connect with you on a regular basis as much. I mean, you've been to my house, like I'm comfortable in those environments because of the people I, I, that I trust. And I think that's super important. And it's all about being around a good cause and doing the right thing. So I think that's critical for p- young coaches to understand that. Well, a couple more questions. One directed towards those young coaches, man, who are aspiring to have this relationship and dynamic with an individual to take them to the promised land, that, that Olympics. And what's, what's the one piece of advice that man, we met when I was 23 years old, like what's the one piece of advice, brand new coach, very green that you'd give to, to stick to it, to, to get to where you are today. I think the first thing, which I think is interesting because I have had other jobs in the industry, right. But I've always coached. So I think that there's parts of there's certain industries that you could kind of skip. You could, you could skip levels. And in our industry in the coaching world, we try to do that with certifications. We try to do this with credentials or environments, but, but athletes are like dogs and kids. They can filter through your bullshit better than anyone else. So the most important thing is to be honest with them and let them know and develop that trust with them. Because my boxing coach, Bruce, Babishan says this and it was like it hit me hard you know if someone ever say something to you and it just hits you hard gratitude is the shortest lived emotion and you could do something for somebody and you could be there for them and loyal and done everything for them for years and they they're super grateful and then the minute it goes away like that 
And it's like they don't even know you. And loyalty doesn't matter because loyalty is only tested when there's adversity. I'm super loyal. It only is only tested when there's adversity. So gratitude is the shortest lived emotion. So make sure that your intention is always good. Because if your intention is bad or not clear, I, you're going to get exposed quick. And I think, you know, we could go and we could tell 17 different stories on how you and I connected or how other people met. But I, I just met somebody, you know, a, a, a couple months ago that, that knew John might've played with him too. And um, he's like, yeah, I heard you on a podcast, whatever. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like small world. So your relationships matter, trust matters, but your intention matters more than anything. I think it's critical. Um, and I think don't be afraid to, as a coach, be like nowadays you got to be honest with the athletes about what your intention is with using their likeness. Right. I'm bad at this, right? Like I don't share my stuff on, and I have a large following on social media. I have a big people. I have a large group of people that follow with me. I have a big platform and yet I'm very shy. I'm very hesitant to show the progress. I normally kind of like, I show the retiring process where like after the kid's done, I'd be like, Hey, this was amazing. And people are like, I didn't know you worked with him. I'm like, well, it's none of your business. It's the athlete that's doing it. Not me. You know, I said, mm-hmm. I say this all the time, but there's no room for a coach on the podium. And I'll tell you one, one thing. I don't know if you're, are you a big like wrestling fan at all? Like, I don't know. I'm, I was never a big wrestling fan growing up, but there's one guy that like, even if you're not a wrestling fan, you know who he is. And, um, he set me straight. Like when I say set me straight, he, he, he kicked my teeth in with this. So he reaches out to me on YouTube. I kind of ignored it cause I thought it was spam. Then he reaches out to me on Instagram and I'm like, is this guy like the legit person who I think it is? And I checked the profile and it says like one point something million people. I'm like, Oh, okay. Maybe that's a real account, not a spam account. And uh, he called me out. He's like, what are you big time to me now? Like, who, you know, and I'm like, I totally fucked up. And it was Goldberg. All like, right. Yeah. The freaking He's, Goldberg. He lives out in Blanco. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, I, I shot him a message back. Like, hey, listen, I get spam all the time. I didn't know if it was you or not. But now that I know it is, if we can if we can move past this, I'm sorry. Let's, let's go to work. What can I do? And here's a guy who I ended up, I, I got to go out to his place in Texas. And I'll tell you what one of the smartest professional athletes, one of the smartest professionals I've ever met. No joke. Intellectual understanding just gets it. Like you meet somebody and they just go, they fucking get it. This guy fucking gets it. And he, he, he called me out on my bullshit. He goes, that's your insecurity. You need to get it out there. You need to adapt. You need to put it out there. You need to show the world because someone else is going to either take credit. Someone else is going to do those things and you're going to miss the opportunity. Don't make it hard. And it, it was a it was a wake up call for me because, I mean, he didn't need to tell me that number one, right? Because mm-hmm. there's it doesn't really help him to like be very direct with me like that. Like, what is he getting out of me? He's ain't gonna get nothing. He get nothing out of me. But you know what he did? Immediately with me, this guy's in it for the right reasons. All he cares about is to be like, look, I'm not like he was just trying to do something for the for for my success. And then, and it just so happens that he has a son that's, you know, 15 years old and is going to be a freaking stud football player. He's a stud baseball player right now. He's going to be a monster on the football field, works right up my alley. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden now there's a, there's a little bit of value there that I could offer. 
and there's a relationship that if I do right and he'll do right, it will probably be a lot longer than, than most people's relationship that are very short lived because they're always looking for something. And I'm, and I'm very clear with those expectations. So, you know, he called me straight out and he goes like, look, you know, you got to adapt to the current circumstances and you'll see coaches all the time. Oh, I'm not into social media. That's garbage. And they're young coaches. I, I, you and I, no offense, but weren't, we didn't start with Instagram and, and, and TikTok and Snapchat. We didn't start with this. If we had this, like if we had the licensing deal, the ability to, to sell our likeness in college, oh my goodness. Game Danger change. zone. So, I mean, you guys should have power athlete, college athletes right now that are sponsored. Ooh, like any D3 all-stars all out there, let us know. Training, it's gear, fun. we can help you out. Yeah, man, let's get some power athlete gear in these kids' hands and go to work. Oh, yeah. For Note on that, email raven at powerathletehq.com. We are trying, Justin. <laughs> you guys crush it. I mean, I, I, first of all, with as cool as that gear is, like, that's legit. Yeah, well, I got a, a care package that'll be waiting for you uh, when you get home, buddy. Um, fi final question, man. In overall Olympics, I know you're dialed in for Jason. Is there any other event, sport that you just find fascinating that you're going to check out? We got surfing, we got skateboarding into play. I'll personally be tuning in to ping pong. Is there anything else while you're there that you're just going to decompress by watching? All right, so two, which are going to be like, I think most people are going to be shocked by this. I'm fascinating with diving, but just totally fascinated with, with, with diving. And the second one, which is be the first one, because I wanted to throw that one out first is ping pong table tennis. Yes. Is incredible. Oh like, yeah. So make this note right now, Jason Rogers, I, hopefully you listen to this. I'm going to whoop your ass in ping pong right before you run your hundred meters, because he just put, a lick it on me earlier at the at the training hall. He beat me freaking three games, so I'm I'm a little bitter right now. Jason, a lefty or righty? He's a lefty. He's a freaking lefty. That's what kid. it is, dude. We it's we got a ping pong uh, set up here in the office, and John and I play each other way too much and would know each other's moves. So when we get a guest in house, we hand off the paddle, and like we're pretty dang good at this point. Probably not at Jason's level, but at the same time, man, that when a lefty steps in. It's just something off. It's I see the value of uh, those lefty pitchers. I understand based off my ping pong game. I'll tell you what, it's something about it, and it just drives me bonkers, man. It pisses me off. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm, everyone talks about, like, how do you build confidence with your athletes? And, like, I'm going to tell you this story right now. My plan is to whoop his butt on table tennis, right? So he's completely depressed and demoralized because I whooped his ass <laughs> in ping pong. And then let him go run his hundred because that's how you do it. That's your lesson. And he told me he was, will never happen, but we'll see. Well, there we have it guys. Jason, thank you very much for taking the time. I know late night for you and, but very appreciative. And we got power athlete nation behind Jason and Nick coming up during the, the Paralympic sprint, dude. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, man. Let's go. Yes. All right. Quick turnaround for this episode, but, Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Enjoy the Olympics, all, all sports, and another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye.